Today we're continuing our sermon series. We're calling it Work is Worship. And if you're on our Facebook page or our email list, uh, you notice that when we sent out the email, there's a little clip, uh, a little YouTube clip to this uh, little sermon illustration for this series as well. If you're not a friend of our Facebook page, please go online and friend our Facebook page. And if you're not on our email list, please put your email there in a connection card. Put it in the box in the back and we'll get you on that list. But it's a clip of The Wonder Years. And The Wonder Years is one of my all-time favorite shows. Uh, it ran, I think, in the early 90s. And it's the story of a boy growing up in the suburbs. And everything about that just reminds me of my life. And in this clip... The young kid, you know, Kevin Arnold, is, is, is given a homework assignment to write about his life. And he's sitting at the coffee table writing it while his dad watches TV after work. And he turns to his dad and he says, Dad, if, have you ever thought about your life? The dad looks at him and goes, huh? And the kid's like, yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, if you had to write about your life, what would you say? It's an assignment for school. And the dad goes, I get up at 5 a.m. I fight traffic. I bust my hump all day. I fight traffic on the way home. And then I pay my taxes. <laughs> the kid's like, sorry I asked. Last week we talked all about work. And we talked about how it's an act of worship, how God gave it to us before sin ever entered. Work was always meant to be a good thing given us by God. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And that has not changed. God's intentions for work has not changed at all. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, which we should walk in them. In what situation do we have an opportunity to do more good works than at our job? We have an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. We have an opportunity to serve him. And we have an opportunity to bring chaos to the order of this world to bless those around us. And oftentimes we take this verse and we apply it to spiritual things and we think our work is unspiritual, but our work is intensely spiritual. Last week we talked about how it's given to us by God, how the image of God is that of a worker. Jesus spent most of his years in life as a carpenter. The Lord worked. When Jesus came, he reflected that image of the Father. God has given us his image. And part of the thing that people should see about us when they look at us is work. They should see hard workers, dependable, reliable Excellent workers, just like God our Father. And so we talked about all that last week, about how work is intended to be good, how it's capable for such good things, how it's a spiritual activity. But this week, we're going to talk about why work is so miserable. Because work is incredibly miserable very often. And I'm sure you've got your stories. I think my most frustrating experience at work was I came into work one day, and I sat down, and I turned on my computer, and it it felt like I heard a tiny helicopter in the room. And I was like, what is, what is that? And after a few seconds, I looked around, and I thought, oh, I know what that is. I've experienced that at home. It's my computer fan. It's going out. And I had this experience at home. My computer fan started sounding like a little helicopter to begin with, and then a bigger one, and a bigger one, and a bigger one. Until I asked around, I found out that my, my fan was going to go out, and when your fan goes out, your hardboard fries, and your computer dies, and you're done. And so I'm sitting at work, I'm like, oh, good, I'm glad I've gone through this before. We caught it early, and we didn't have an in-house IT guy, and so we outsourced it to a company called Marco. And so I called up Marco, and I said, Marco, I've got a, I got a computer fan going out. I've had this before, I recognize, I just need, we weren't allowed to, you know, touch the computers ourselves and everything like that. So, Marco, I need you to come out and send somebody to bring a computer fan. 
and put it in. And Marco said, well, we'd love to, but uh, what's your name? And I said, my name is Jeremy. And they said, well, we're only licensed or ever to talk to Ted. Ted is your company representative, and we need Ted to call us with this work order, and then we can get it done. I thought, no problem. So I went over to Ted's office. I said, Ted, I need you to call Marco. I need you to get me a new computer fan. And Ted said, all right. And I went back to my desk, and day after day, the computer fan got louder. The helicopter got nearer and nearer. And I thought, surely Ted can make a five-minute phone call. I went back to his office and said, Ted, how'd that phone call go? When are they coming out? It's starting to get pretty loud. What's going to happen is my computer fan's going to go out, my hardboard's going to fry, and then I'm not going to be able to do any work. I'm going to lose all of my things, all of my data. And Ted said, oh, I haven't made that call yet. Don't worry, I'll make that call today. I go back to my office. Day after day goes by. The helicopter is right, right overhead. I go back to Ted. I'm like, Ted, what happened? Oh, I haven't made the phone call yet. Forget Ted. I go to my supervisor. Look, I've got a matter of days. You got to get Ted on the phone. Can you get Ted on the phone? I went to my supervisor not once, but twice. Finally, I come in. I sit down. I try to turn on my computer. It doesn't turn on. It's fried. I walk in my supervisor and say, I'm going home. Call me when it's back on. It took five days. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, this, is, this does not feel like worship. This feels like evil. I'm sure many of your experiences don't feel like worship either. And in the time it took me to tell that story, you've probably thought a dozen of your own stories of frustration in the workplace. And if work is worship, then why is it so miserable? And forget about just general incompetence. At work, we deal with outright wickedness regularly. People who don't want to do their job, customers who come in and treat us terribly. I remember my wife did retail for a while. She worked as an assistant manager at Target and Best Buy. And the people who would come in and the way that they would treat the customers is absolutely outrageous. People would come in and just say anything, cursing, swearing, yelling, whatever they thought they would do because they didn't buy the protection plan. And what they bought went out and demanding that they be refunded their money. And my poor wife had to deal with that. It's amazing the type of evil that we encounter at work. We might be mistreated, underused, unrecognized, underpaid. And our work can be a very unhealthy place. Why does work stink? As part of a larger question of simply why do things not turn out like they should? Why does not everything go according to God's will? The answer is because of sin that we live in a fallen world. And as we go through life separated from God, we can forget that God is good. One of the most important things to spiritual maturity is recognizing, and in those moments of experience evil, recognizing what you're encountering. Because so often when we experience those, we look at God and say, where did you go? Why aren't you good to me anymore? And the answer is God is always good, and what we've encountered is evil. Spiritual maturity is attributing to what God does to God and attributing what Satan does to Satan and understanding God's ultimate plan and promise for reconciliation, redemption, restoration, and salvation. And Christians are not very good at this. In fact, there's entire denominations that think that God actively brings evil into your life. And God does not actively bring evil into your life, nor does he bring, actively bring evil into your workplace. Evil comes actively into our lives through our own choices and the choices of others and also the influence of Satan. 
And we see how this all started in Genesis chapter 3. You may have never read this through the lens of work, but this explains where evil came into our work. If you turn with, to me, it's Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Let's read this and apply it to work. And, he, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. What did Adam do for a job? He was meant to care for and tend the earth. And now the ground is cursed. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. And Adam had some sons. And imagine when they were little, Cain or Abel turned to their dad. They said, Dad, have you ever thought about your life? And Adam said, yeah, in pain. <laughs> Verse 17, in pain I eat of the ground every day. The ground's cursed. It pokes me. There's thorns and thistles. By the sweat of my face, all of us are able to eat. And then I die. And sin just wreaks devastating effects on our lives. And here, you can see that it just wreaks devastating effects on Adam's work as it does on our work. And talk about a brutal piece of honesty here from the scriptures. This is reality, if you've ever experienced it. And talk about a situation which needs good news. And our God is a savior. He's a deliverer. And what we know is the Lord will fix this. God isn't responsible for evil. He does have a plan to fix it. And while we wait for that plan, the Lord gives us incredible blessings as we follow him, incredible blessings and protection. And I know I've seen that over my life as I go through my life. I praise God for all of the things that he has blessed me with on a regular basis. God is so good to me. I don't deserve any of it. And yet God keeps giving me good things. And Satan keeps bringing evil into my life. And God delivers me and saves me from it. And he'll save me from the rest of it when he returns. But in many cases, I have to go through it. Just like you do. Just like all of us do. Just like Adam did. Just like everybody in the Bible did. And as we become believers in God, we should have, not have unrealistic expectations. We should know who God is. He is our Savior. He is good through and through. We can trust him with every single situation. But it doesn't mean that he will keep us from all evil. It means he will save us from it. And as we wait for that, we suffer. And we suffer at work. And our work has become a heavy burden that people were never intended to bear, just like the rest of the sin and evil in our life. And sin separates. Sin separates us from each other. Sin separates us from God. And you might have never thought it, but sin has separated us from the work that God intended for us to do when he gave it to us. Work is no longer like God had planned. And there are three ways that we experience evil in our life, and it's never from the hand of God. We experience evil from, the first part is just living in a fallen world. The world is broken. It's not just people that sin. The ground is cursed. Our world has changed from sin. The plants and things that were meant to bring us food and 
now bring forth thorns and thistles, and it's changed. It's become difficult. And so we experience difficulty just from living in a fallen world where nothing operates as it should. The second way we experience evil is from sinful people who are following Satan and messing with our lives. And the Lord respects people's choice. There is no love possible without choice. So God gives us real choices to make. We have real choices to make every day, whether we love the Lord and serve him or whether we follow Satan and serve him. And every time that someone else makes that choice, God honors it because he wants our hearts. He can't have our hearts unless he honors our choice. And so sometimes work goes bad simply because we're dealing with sinful people. And then sometimes work goes bad because we too have sin. As we read through the story of Jacob and Esau, we looked at four people in the family of God, people of God, who couldn't have made worse choices, more sinful choices in the lives of their family. Just because we're believers, just because we're in the process of sanctification, doesn't mean that we're not sinners. My life is different. God has weeded out so much sin in my heart, and I've gotten so much victory in my life, thanks to the Lord. And yet still, every day, I've got sin, which taints every decision I make. I can't make a decision completely selflessly. Every decision I make to try to do something good, there's always something selfish in it. I want to be virtuous. I might be doing this good thing because of a measure of love for others, but ultimately, one of the main driving forces in all of my decisions is a love for myself. And it's sin. And we have that and we deal with that too at work. We create our own problems in our families and in our works as well. We experience evil from the fallen world, the choices of others and the choices that we make. And sin infects everything. And the workplaces that we inhabit are infected with sin as well. And the same company that blesses us and hires us and empowers us can also dehumanize us, demean us, the same company that provides for us might also demand more than anyone should demand from us. The same customers who come and bless us and bring us their business and their trust can also bring us their hatred, their greed, their anger. And work is painfully difficult. Today we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to read the story about a man who goes through an incredibly difficult workplace. And while God allows us to suffer, we're going to be reminded that everything God allows, he will deliver us from. And as he allows it, our God is so good, he can take that and turn that for good as well. Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord is with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And we've read this story before. We read it last year, and we're going to read it today, looking at it through the eyes of our work in our workplace. Here, Joseph has been brought down to Egypt as a slave. He's been sold by his brothers. Things have not gone very well for him, but God has allowed it. Even though nothing that Joseph has done has been unique, uniquely sinful to warrant this type of punishment by God, it's not punishment by God. What he's experiencing is just the results of living in a fallen world and the results of other people's sin. Joseph is not perfect. And yet here, he's not suffering from any of his mistakes either. And God is not trying to get him. Satan is trying to get him. 
Satan has a plan to destroy him and God has got a plan to save him and deliver him. Satan's got a plan to destroy you. He's got a plan to destroy your work. And God has got a plan to deliver you and help you to overcome. When you go to work tomorrow, you're not just going to punch a clock. You're not just going to try to provide for your family. You have an opportunity to face your enemy and overcome. We're in the greatest adventure ever told, and our work is a part of that. And here Joseph has been sold into slavery. He's gone in Egypt. He's done an excellent job there. The Lord is with him. He's become a successful man. Even though Joseph has struggled in life, even though things have come against him, Joseph has had the right responses, which is to continue to follow the Lord in everything that he does. He's got incredible faith. And as such, God allows him to succeed. And his master saw that the Lord is with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Joseph gets a promotion. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. One of the themes of Joseph's life is that if there's anybody who's overworked, it's him. Whether he's in the palace or the prison, if anything gets done, he's the one who does it. He's in charge over all of the house of Egypt. The only thing he doesn't do is feed his boss. And if there's anybody who feels overworked, it's Joseph. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. We don't know her name. Her husband's name is Potiphar. It's Joseph's boss. Doesn't give us her name. I think it was probably Hotifer. <laughs> You've got Potiphar and Hotifer, and she looks at Joseph, and she says, he's good to look at. Come with me. And Joseph is such an amazing man, he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master is no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. What trust! What amazing trust! Every employer is looking for somebody that they can trust, somebody that they can lean on. It might feel to you like it's all being overworked. But every boss, every company owner is overworked. And they are looking for others who will take that on. And here Joseph is someone who can be trusted. He's been put over everything. He's done nothing wrong. And his coworker starts messing around, choosing sinful things. He has chosen the right thing. And yet the Lord does not spare him from this evil. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. 
And she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. She lies. She wasn't doing what she was supposed to. And like most people who are doing what they aren't supposed to, they lie. And it happens all the time. And it happens to us at work. And what happens? As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. And Joseph is punished for nothing that he has done. But he's encountered sin and evil in his workplace. Talk about a tough place to work. It took one well-placed gossiper from Satan to ruin everything that Joseph had been doing. And you know as you read the story that God allows this. Not because God is bad, uncaring, evil, absent, but God knows everything that Satan can do. And Satan can't do a single thing to you that if you remain faithful won't result in your good and the good of others. Satan can't do a single thing to you that ultimately won't result in more glory for God. And we know that God allowed all of this because he wants Joseph to love him and he wants all of his brothers to love him as well. And God is going to put Joseph in a situation in, in a masterful story where nothing better could possibly be imagined to bring this family to Jesus Christ. And as you go through your work, you might feel like God is absent, that he doesn't care, maybe that he's not all-powerful or all-good. That's always the, the argument from atheists. If God is all-powerful and all-good and evil exists, then one of those two things is in contradiction. But logically, there's no contradiction. If there's a third thing that exists in that equation, is that there's something that we can't see and can't quite describe, which is greater, that needs to happen, uh, that needs both of those other things to then happen. I would say that thing is love. That thing is love of God. God is all good and evil exists. And the only thing that would explain this seeming contradiction, the existence of both, is if there's something so great that if we were to be able to see it, we'd say, God, that makes sense. If Joseph could see it as his boss's wife lies about him, as his coworker gossips about him, if Joseph could see it, he'd say, that makes sense. It makes total sense. And in your life, too, if you could see it, you would know that God is able to be trusted. Joseph knows it, and you can, too. That's why God puts this story in there. Have you ever been, had coworkers come against you? Maybe through gossip or through something else. The one thing I know is the more that you follow the Lord and the more that you serve the Lord, the more that Satan will bring things into your life to try to distract you or derail you or bring you down. The more you follow God, the more it'll happen. Here Joseph is out following God. God is with him. And Satan sends somebody in to gossip about him. And there's a lot to learn about gossip in this passage. Who do people gossip to the most? The ones they love. The ones they love. Gossipers don't go to the people that are far from them, that aren't going to listen to them. They go to the ones they love. Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever had somebody come to you and gossip? The next time you hear a loved one come to you saying bad things about somebody else, 
Don't stop loving them. However, recognize that they may be working for the other team. In fact, they are if they're gossiping to you. That's working for the other team. What are they trying to destroy? What is Satan trying to destroy? Who is Satan trying to separate you from? If you've heard half the story, you've heard none of the story. And here she goes to her husband, the one who will get things done, the one who's closest to her, the one who will love her the most. If I'm going to gossip, I'm most likely to go to my closest friends. I'm most likely to go to my wife. This is something to recognize. That's why gossip is such an insidious sin. Because we use the people we trust to accomplish the purposes of Satan. And if you've ever been following the Lord, if you've ever been at work, you know that at different points you've had people talk about you. They'll gossip about you. They'll try to ruin what you're doing. They'll try to turn others against you. What do you do? You trust in the Lord. You absolutely trust in the Lord. God knows. You just keep following him. Make sure that no gossip comes out of your mouth. Make sure that no vengeance comes out of your mouth. What an amazing trust. God will take care of it for you. God is on your side. If you follow him, I should say you're on his side. More accurately, and you're on the Lord's side, you've got nothing to fear. Every day go at work knowing you've got nothing to fear. When we have bad things happen to us, studies have shown it creates a very deep neural pathway in our brain. It takes a lot of good things to create the same size neural pathway in our brain. When something terrible happens to you, your brain is affected by that evil. Things do not happen like they should in this fallen world. And you think more about the evil things than you do about the good things. We all do. Our bodies are broken. If you had a bad situation at work before and it happens again, you start going down that path of fear. Oh no, last time somebody gossiped about me, this happened. Last time somebody gossiped about me, this happened. Joseph has amazing trust in the Lord, even though people conspire against him time after time. He never fears. He never despairs because Joseph has made a new neural pathway in his brain of faith. You need to repeat to yourself the truth. Whenever you start to fear, whenever people start to gossip against you, don't let it bother you. You're on God's side. There's nothing that can happen to you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. And you need to repeat that to yourself over and over and over until you've got a new neural pathway in your brain that's bigger than the one that Satan put in there. And people, when they talk about me, I've learned not to let it bother me at all. The last time Satan came to me to try to get me to fear that, I sat there and it's, I had this thing and I'm, I'm laying awake at night and I think, oh man, that person's mad at me. They could say this, they could say that. And I sat there and I thought, I know who you are. <laughs> I've experienced this before. I know who you are, Satan. Go away. I'm on the Lord's side. There's nothing you can do to me, pal. Nothing. God will deliver me from this. And if he doesn't, it's because he's only got something greater than that in mind. And so bring it. Bring it, pal. And Joseph's got that kind of attitude. And work can stink. And people are going to talk. But trust. Trust that the Lord has put people in your life who are going to recognize a wolf when they see one. 
Recognize if God does allow this, that he's got a plan for it, that it's going to come back better than ever. Whether it's gossip or anything else at work, no weapon formed against you can prosper. And what does Joseph do? Does he sulk and say, I'll, nah, I'm just going to, I'm checking out. I'm not going to do anything to help this outfit prosper again. I'm showing up with a bad attitude. I've been put in prison. This work is beneath me. They see my degree. They should know that I've, I've got been made for more. Joseph says, God, you must have abandoned me or you're no longer good. And therefore, I'm not going to worship you anymore. No, he doesn't say that at all. He does the opposite. He's in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. You might feel mistreated, underappreciated. You might feel like if anything happens at work, you're the one who does it. But all of those things are things that God is working through. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. He's got so much responsibility because God is with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. And how many of us feel like our work is a prison? Because of Joseph's relationship with the Lord, he keeps on working. Even in difficult situations, when he was treated, Joseph keeps working. Doesn't make any of the mistreatment okay, and God knows that. And the people will answer for that. But none of that should keep us from reflecting the image of God. And what is up with Joseph? Does he have some sort of genetic disorder in his brain? Or his neural pathways, he's affected by good events more than bad events unlike us? I don't think so. Joseph is not some sort of genetically disordered go-getter where no matter what happens, he goes out and does it and does it well. I don't think Joseph has pronoia. I'd love to have pronoia. Do you know what pronoia is? It's the opposite of paranoia. It means you have an irrational belief that everything is working out in your favor. There are people who have this. I would love to be cursed with this condition. Joseph doesn't have pronoia. He's got faith. And we can too. Joseph knows that he doesn't work for Pharaoh. He doesn't work for Potiphar. He doesn't work for Egypt. He doesn't work for the prisoners. He works for God. And we see this attitude in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph knows that no matter what his coworkers can do against him, no matter what his boss, no matter what his customers can do, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Next time you've got a coworker, who's looking at you in the face and their sin is coming forward and they're sitting there being obstinate, not listening to you, not willing to work with you. They've made themselves your enemy. Just say in your heart, look them right in the eye. Look them right in the eye and say, in your heart, I know you're meaning evil against me, but there's nothing that you can do. You can't do anything. What an incredibly empowering faith. Even though people meant to harm him, God know, or Joseph knows that Pharaoh's not, Potiphar's not the top person in Egypt. Potiphar's not the top person in Egypt. God is the top person in Egypt. God is the top person in your workplace. And your work is a spiritual activity. And you've got the opportunity to exercise that kind of faith. 
If we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to remember the order of the scriptures, it goes Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. It's this kind of theology that tells you, and you're at work, you serve Jesus. Joseph was a slave. These people that Paul is talking to are slaves, but slavery in ancient times was much different than it was in American slavery. It wasn't good, but it was a lot like our current workplaces. That's why we started to translate this differently because we don't understand what it says anymore. The KJV would say slaves. Now we're like, that doesn't sum it up. Slaves has changed its definition in America over the last two, 300 years. Bond servants, workers essentially, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Paul is addressing primarily the workplace, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, Don't just make it look good, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. As Christians, we're supposed to be serving our boss as though we would serve Jesus. Why does Paul talk like this? It's because Jesus is our authority. And all throughout the letters of Paul, he says, obey authority. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. Honor your father and mother. Obey your authority over and over. Wives, submit to your husbands. 5.22. Why does Paul tell us to submit to these imperfect earthly authorities? Because Jesus is our authority. Jesus owns every breath and every thought of our lives. And if we don't like authority, we won't like Jesus. And if we're able to submit to earthly authorities, we will definitely know that we are saved because then we will be able to submit to our real Lord, Jesus Christ. If you're in the workplace, are you submitting to your boss like, like you would to submit to Christ? If you're in a place of supervision, you know that none of your employees have read this. Have they? This is how we're supposed to treat our, our supervisor, like Jesus Christ. We're supposed to serve him like we would the Lord. Let's go through verse 8. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. I've experienced so much of receiving back from the Lord when I don't take vengeance. I've got incredible stories that I wish I could share to you, but the people in my life would get mad at me. (laughs) But the Lord has blessed me. The Lord has blessed me. I have not had to take vengeance. The Lord has done it. I have not had to change my situation. The Lord has done it because I've trusted in him. I've sinned plenty and I've got more to repent of than I'd ever like to admit. And I have more to repent of than I even realize right now. But the times in which I've repaid evil for good and trusted in the Lord, I've received back from the Lord. I can say that is my testimony. I've received it back from him and I wouldn't change anything. And I thank God I followed him. And the only things I regret in my life are the times I didn't. Here Paul gives us that type of encouragement. We can trust the Lord so much that we know that we will repay evil with good and that we'll receive back from him because he's the top. The best example I've ever seen of this is my wife Sarah. She was hired as an assistant manager of Target by a worship leader. 
She loved Sarah, just loved her. Sarah was like employee of the month. Things were going great. That worship leader resigned and left. And she was replaced by a lesbian activist who was currently in the process of adoption. Sarah had a cross on her wall. Her co-worker said, you're very brave for having that. And it was only a matter of time. Our car broke down. She couldn't get to work on time. She was late for an important visit. And her boss took that opportunity. Get rid of her. She was too up, this woman. The person over here was now given the task of firing my wife. Day after day, she tried to fire my wife. We had no income. We had to keep going. This horrible situation. It was absurd. They get putting higher and higher demands on her. And if you've ever worked at a company like Target, they have metrics for everything. Metrics for everything across the board. They keep track of it all. And they kept saying, the metrics need to be higher. They need to be higher. They need to be higher. And Sarah kept getting them higher with her team to the point where when they brought in the district guy to give a visit, he walked through and he said, I've never seen results like this. I've never seen every single metric be 100% green. And yet, they still tried to fire her because it wasn't godly. It was pure evil. And yet she handled herself like Joseph, day in, day out. And so they stopped talking about her performance. And they started saying things like, why do you want to work here when you don't fit here? And after an incredibly difficult time, the person who hired her from Target heard about what was happening, and she had moved to Best Buy, and she called Sarah up, and she said, I want to bring you over here. And I'm telling you, we were blessed more than we could have ever imagined by that whole experience. Our faith grew. Our strength grew. There's nothing that I won't trust God through because of that experience. My faith grew. I'm able to do a much better job in my life because of her example. And what I saw in her life, she had the opportunity to love her enemies face to face every day when she went to work. And you might too. Many of our experiences at work don't feel like worship. But worship isn't about our feelings. It's about bringing glory to God. And anybody who looked at Sarah over those six months, eight months, a year, whatever it was, could see the image of God. And the woman who had, was tasked with trying to fire her by this evil boss, the supervisor directly over Sarah, she friended Sarah on Facebook and continues to keep up with her to this day. Now that's bringing glory to God. The people around you, they might be incompetent. They might not recognize you. They might be downright evil. But our work might be hard, but our God is good. And he's worthy of our trust and he's worthy of our service. You're not serving God. Uh, you're not serving your job tomorrow. You're serving the Lord your God. And let's take a moment and pray.